Welcome to the When God Calls podcast. I am your host, Michael McCaskill, public servant, lay servant, and cancer survivor. Each episode, you will hear motivational stories from people whose lives have been changed by serving others. Along the way, you'll get tips and strategies that you can use to become a more effective Christian. Thanks for listening. Now let the journey continue. Recently, I had the privilege to sit down with a gentleman who has a love for God, his country, and his family. He served eight years as a corpsman or a medic in the United States Navy. Since then, he has served on several boards and committees that were established to address various challenges we face today. They include the Goodwill and the American Red Cross. He has a beautiful family and adores being a husband and a father. Tom Derzapolsky spends his life serving humanity with God's direction. I said, Lord, I don't know why you've put me here. I don't know or believe that I'm capable of doing this, but guide me, help me, put the right people on my path, help me do the right things, because I think there's a lot a lot of folks that are, are going to be hurt and depending on this, and I sure don't want to mess it up. I got a question. Are you happy with the life you live? Or does it take more than Tom, thanks for joining us today. Uh, let's start off by learning a little bit about your military career. Well, I uh, I grew up in a family with a long, you know, proud history of service in the military. My grandfather, one of my grandfathers served in World War II and was uh, on the beaches of Normandy and survived. And my other grandfather was Korea and father and uncle Vietnam. And so we were brought up in a home that really where we respect and honored those who served. And you know, I think probably as a young 17-year-old with a little too much testosterone flowing through my blood, I uh, thought I wanted to be a, be a Marine. You know, those commercials are pretty powerful with the sharp uniforms. And <laughs> my dad, uh, I was only 17, and my dad uh, told me I could look at the service, and he understood that I wanted to serve, but I really wanted to be a Marine. And so I went in the Marine recruiter and uh, took my tests and physicals and I needed my dad's signature because I wasn't old enough yet. And he said, you've got to have a civilian equivalent. Whatever they train you to do in the Marine Corps, I want you to be able to do it as a civilian when you get out. And um, so I told the recruiter that. And a lot of the things they were offering me were uh, didn't interest me if I had a civilian equivalent. You know, it was like a radio technician or diesel mechanic. or you know, I just wanted a, a rifle and a uniform and to be a Marine. And uh, so... The recruiter grabbed me by my wrist and stood me up, marched me out of the Marine Corps recruiting office and went around to the Navy. And we were going in and I said, I don't want to be in the Navy. And he said, uh, well, you're going to be a corpsman. And I said, what's, you know, what's a corpsman? And he said, well, it's a medic. And I said, well, I'm not, I, I'm not smart enough to be a medic. I can't do that. You know, and he marched me in there. My test scores were uh, high. And so I ended up in the Navy. And never spent a single day in uh, in the Marine Corps. And, and the reason he walked me over there is the the U.S. Navy supplies the medics for the Marine Corps. So he said, "Don't worry, you'll never spend a day on a ship or with a squadron. You'll be with us." And and I did, and uh, joined the Navy and never spent a minute with the Marines. So it's, it's funny. Crazy. It's funny how life uh, pans out differently than you thought it would. Oh yeah, you, you went there to be a Marine, and well, end up as a sailor. As a sailor. Um, so, obviously, your experiences in the Navy uh, 
kind of garnered your service uh, orientation, but I'm sure you got that early in life too, or you would not have necessarily wanted to serve in, in the military. Um, what was some of the lessons that your parents taught you growing up in, in the way of serving people? Um, I, it was just part of our family culture. You know, we, uh, if it was a tough time being a Floridian, if a hurricane came through, then we would be out in the yard picking up our yard and our neighbor's yard leaves and branches. And we, here in North Florida, we're all too familiar with that. But, um, we served at the church and, uh, there was an opportunity to volunteer. We got involved. And I think I really probably just saw my parents helping others a lot and just, understood that that was the expectation that you know that's what we're put here on earth for us while we're created and uh so it was just sort of in our dna as a household um and uh i guess probably just through watching my parents as an example it you know drove me to want to go off and serve in the military and then um i guess that's just the way you're brought up sometimes so did your dad uh, teach you anything that just never left you? Did he give you anything, any base that you just, you had to have? Well, yeah, first, um, faith. Uh, you know, I was the rebellious son and, uh, and and tend to push against the rules. And he was very patient with us in high expectation. There were certainly things that we were never supposed to do. But, you know, he was gentle in his discipline uh, and consistent. But he also modeled, I think, uh, the behavior that that you would want your sons to to model in their lives. So he he loved and respected my mom deeply. And there was only one time he ever got particularly physical with me when I was 16 or 17. I popped off to my mom and uh, my dad moved across the room so fast and had me pinned against the wall. You know, I, I couldn't believe it that I found myself in that position. But he made it very clear that you respect, you know, your mom and you're going to respect your wife someday and respect all women, period. Uh, and so he just he the way, I think the way he modeled uh, being a father and a husband and in his actions, there were no lessons. Um, the expectation was just there that, you know, we would operate our lives with honesty and integrity and um, do the best work we could do. Yeah, we're we're put on earth to to serve one another, but we're also put on earth to be honest with mm-hmm. one another. Um, honesty and 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 love for your fellow man. You don't just get that just because you happen onto it. Right. You do get taught that, and, and we see time and time again uh, where when that's not available in homes, it, it turns it can turn south mm-hmm. fairly quickly. Um, so. Your parents raised you. You went in the military. You served our country. And thank you for your service. Uh, we generally, genuinely appreciate what you've done for this country. It takes a great human being to put their life on the line for, for the rest of those of us who, who have not been willing to do that. And I'm one of those. I, must, I'm a, I, I don't mind serving those who serve in the military. Right. Uh, my service is of those, right? You certainly have learned how to serve. How have you used that, learned that? those lessons that you've learned in the military and from your parents, how have you used those lessons to serve your fellow man? Well, it's funny. I told you how I ended up in the Navy, you know, and I, I, I believe God is constantly preparing us for something he has ahead for us. So I did not know, uh, 
I, you know, I didn't want to be in the Navy. And I didn't realize that by being in the Navy as a corpsman, I would be working closely with a bunch of really highly motivated, bright individuals. Navy corpsmen are, are amazing folks. And then we get to work alongside some incredible physicians. So it brought me in close proximity to people who had um, graduate degrees and, and had, you know, were uh, doctors. Uh, and I got to see how they worked and it made me want to learn and know more because I was no scholar in high school. Uh, you know, I, I found out what GPA you had to have to stay out of trouble with your parents and on the sports team. And I did just a little better than that. And uh, so it exposed me to that. And then I was around people that made me believe that I could do well in college. And I, I received the discipline, the the discipline by its true definition of doing the work needed, studying when you're supposed to, showing up on time in the military. I, I was exposed to the, to the fact that I could, I had this potential. Um, and then I got out of the Navy to pursue my medical degree at Florida State, um, felt God call me another direction. I had great grades. This is a funny side story. My, I was working in the local emergency room and I would go to, to, to work at 11 p.m. and get off at 7 a.m. and go to class. Those, as a former medic, I could, had some skills that were transferable you know, to public life. And so that's kind of how I paid my way through college. But uh, one morning I, I was in the cafeteria getting breakfast before I went to school and I saw a doctor with his son. And it was kind of evident that he was out of place, you know, like mom must have been sick or had an emergency. But the, the physician didn't really know what this kid is, like a three or four year old and didn't really know what he ate and you know, it's kind of clear that he might have possibly missed the first four years of his kid's life. And having grown up in a house with a father like mine, knowing the father I wanted to be, uh, it was just I felt deeply inside that I did not want to pursue the type of medicine I was interested in, which would have pulled me away from family a lot. And uh, prayed about it, called my dad and said, you know, dad, I don't think I'm going to be the family's first doctor because there was also a bit of pride there, too. I was in, in the Navy. I was a corpsman. I was going to medical school. I made this known to my family. They were very excited for me. So I felt like I might be letting people down. And my dad on the other end of the line said, I know that. And I said, no, my grades are good. I thought he was doubting me. He goes, I know that. He goes, but I feel like God has something else in store for you. But you're the son who needs to go. My name is Thomas, you know. I have to go put my fingers in the hole myself and see. And so he said, I want you to pray about what you want to do. And I did. And and discovered that I, I was very interested in communications and public relations and generating messages. And so the Navy led me to one thing, to the next thing, to college, to another thing. And um, then I'm able to use my communication skills and, and, and marketing skills to affect change today. So, which we, I think we'll probably talk about at some point, Hurricane Michael. I mean, that was largely successful um, because of the skills that my entire life had prepared me for up to that point. Um, and, and I love what I do now, but I really genuine, genuinely believe this is just a training period for something that's coming next. And I'm not anxious about what that is. Um, but I believe that, you know, it's opened doors and exposed me to opportunities and, and people and process and policy and, and that there's something ahead. I don't know. I, I hope that I'll be a sailboat captain. I hope that's what God has next, but I doubt. <laughs> I doubt that's going to be it. 
So you brought up Hurricane Michael, and, and yes, I, would, I do want to talk about that, and we'll go ahead and talk about it now. Um, you were instrumental, uh, I believe I have this right, you were instrumental in helping get the Salvation Army into Calhoun County, and I believe it was you and your wife. How did you end up there? Were you standing in the middle of the road one day and somebody <laughs> said, we got to have some help, or what, what, got, what led you down that road? Well, that's almost right. I, uh, the, the Salvation Army and the Red Cross and so many uh, nonprofits played a huge role in North Florida and in Calhoun County, but that wasn't our exact story. Ours, um, uh, Stephanie and I were out of town uh, just before Michael made landfall. Uh, we had spent the, the weekend in Vancouver Island in British Columbia, and she had to stay in Seattle for a medical conference, and I came back. And we knew that there was this, like everyone, there was something stirring off the Yucatan, and it looked like it was going to be a small hurricane. And being a Florida boy, I just think about, I wonder if I'll have a chance to surf. Do I really need to board up? You know, Floridians don't, eh, you know, we don't get too excited. Um, you know, that changed pretty quickly. And uh, I took my sons to Gainesville to evacuate, and I stayed here because I serve on the Red Cross board, and we had things to do. Um Stephanie was delayed in getting home because of all the canceled flights. So Michael makes landfall. 24 hours goes by. She gets home. We clean up our yard. In the tradition of uh, my family, we're cleaning up the the widow in our cul-de-sac. You know, we went to her yard and I put the boys to work. And Stephanie looked at me and said, you know, Tom, I need my mom's a widow. We need to thank, I'm glad you're so eager to serve our neighbors, but I need to get to Blunstown and check on them. And at the time we had only received very brief text messages. You know, this is like probably just over 24 hours from landfall. And uh, so we'd be okay, bad here, very dangerous. Like nothing was really coming through because all the cell towers were down. And uh, so we hopped on I-10 and headed West and just beyond Tallahassee, as you start to come across, I was like, I mean, Tallahassee was bad, but uh, I've been in war zones and this was this was a war zone and it took a long time to make it down Highway 12 and over to Bluntstown. But my uh, my brother-in-law is a police chief in Bluntstown and the other one's uh, working with the highway patrol. So we were at the house, no electricity, standing around in the dark and they said, hey, we've got some problems with volunteers and donations and can you know they, they i think they need some communication i don't know what they need but will you come to the eoc tonight for the 7 p.m briefing and uh, i said sure and so i went down there and i'm standing around and he's my brother-in-law said hey tom here's gonna help and i said well hold on let you know what do we need to do and they went through the briefing and and the director came over and he said i need somebody to, to set up a donation center communicate to the world that we need stuff and can you take this and I said, let me just give me a second, because it was that is that was like a command center. It was remarkable to see the resources and the speed at which things were happening. It was intense. I mean, guys standing around with machine guns. It was as close to the military as you can be without being in it. And uh, I went outside on the steps and I sat and just said a brief prayer. And I said, Lord, I don't know why you've put me here. I don't know or believe that I'm capable of doing this, but guide me, help me put the right people on my path, help me do the right things. Cause I think there's a lot, a lot of folks that are, are going to be hurt and depending on this. And I sure don't want to mess it up. And I went back in and said, we'll do it. I'll do it. And I went home, walked in the kitchen and Jason, my brother-in-law said, well, Tom, Tom's going to head up an effort here. And, uh, 
get things squared away. And Stephanie said, of course he is. And she kind of said it sarcastically because I think it annoys her sometime that we're always at the tip of the spear. And uh, so we we got to work and uh, and we just worked our tails off and uh, found all the right people. God put all the right people on our path. There was uh, the right space in the right location with the right group of volunteers that showed up. And uh, I misquote this all the time because I'm trying to remember carefully, but I was counting license plates, the number of states. And we had people from 27 states, I believe is the number I landed. I have old notes I had. Um, But literally Kansas, Montana, Texas, Oklahoma, people who've hurt before came in their horse trailers and their pickup trucks and their RVs full of stuff. And they came to Bluntstown, Florida a dot on the map, I'm convinced because my training to that point, the critical piece of it was communications. And I stood in front of the EOC where they had, on day one, where they had a cell phone service and did a Facebook Live video that explained to people that we were a rural community, that we were hurting, there was a safe route, the roads were open, um, and gave the address. And they all came the world showed up and uh and it was one of the most incredible experiences you know i've ever had and there are many stories within this story but one that i think is just so cool and just i think talks about how god you know smacks you in the head sometime is as a young navy corpsman i served in bosnia and albania in 1999 they were having their big conflict and our helicopters were huge and we could carry a lot of relief supplies, food and water. And uh, we were working out of an airbase named Tirani and we'd fly these very noticeable, but humongous helicopters into the rural areas and land. Soccer's big in Europe, of course, and land in the soccer field and offload food to the, to the small towns and villages and cities all over that country. And uh, so I did that uh, with my squadron. So this group uh, pulls up and it's like the Muslim Relief Society. And of course, there's a high, you know, almost totally Muslim population over there. And they had a, a physician or two with them. They had a very high end RV that operated as a clinic and they were here to help. And I, I you know, Muslim as, uh, as a, a people are found all over the globe. So I didn't know where he's from, but there was something about this guy's accent. And I said, uh, I said, where are you from? And he said, uh, Albania. And I said, I was in Albania in 1999. He said, so was I. And I said, well, I was in the Navy and uh, we brought, uh, we had you know helicopters and flew supplies in. And he described to a T the helicopters we flew. So in 1999, I brought food to his village or his small town around the globe. And then here we are all these years later in Blountstown, Florida, and he pulls up to help this community. And, uh, it was just it was just remarkable to see how people came. Oh, that's awesome. That that's cool. that's a great story. I had not heard that one. Um I'm glad you shared that. Um we me and my wife and I were beneficiaries of your uh Facebook live posts. We watched those from from this house. Mm-hmm. Um we we went through this along with you guys. We were here, we stayed here during Michael at this house. Uh, we happened to be across the river from Bluntstown in, the, right. in this location. However, that four miles is a huge difference in the wind speeds 
that we felt and that Bluntstown felt. So we were right on the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you that uh, for those of you who might be listening to this who did not experience that, the winds were hard enough that it actually picked my pickup truck up off the ground and slammed it back down several times and blew the uh, grommets out from under the bed. Um, so it, the, 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 the wind speeds here were very, very fast, very, very strong. Uh, I'm in a, in a, in my, where I live, I'm in a, a place where I, my family lives too. I have a grandmother and my parents live on the same uh, piece of land. They were all here in the newest house. Right. The one that was coming apart. <laughs> um, we were watching the house come apart. Uh, luckily and, and uh, thankfully, and uh, God blessed us with the fact that we had very minor damage uh, when that did happen. But we we saw your your posts. We saw what was coming to Bluntstown, um, and we were thankful that people were taking the time out of their days, weeks, and months oh, yeah. to come see this little place on the earth that nobody knows about or didn't know until now. Yeah. So thank you for that. No, absolutely. I think this, uh, this also shows something else in you that I want to talk about is what motivates you. So obviously, based on that story and some things that uh, uh, I've seen in some of your Facebook posts uh, recently, you're motivated by things where people are in need of some sort. It doesn't have to necessarily be financial or spiritual or motivational, whatever it is. But if, if you see some need somewhere, you seem to respond. Right. Let's talk about what makes you respond. What is it that drives you? You know, I know when it's happening. Um, and I, I guess the best way I can describe it, and it tends to be associated with seeing an injustice or pain or an opportunity to move an organization or a community or a situation forward, but nobody's grabbed the con and it's maybe turned the controls and said, we're going to, let's go. Um, and I just, I can't, I can't stand to sit and watch inaction or, or people hurting when they don't have to. And, um, it's interesting that the idea of God calling you, uh, you know, I just sometimes inside feel, an overwhelming responsibility to respond to whatever it is, you know, I just observed. Um, and it, it's tough because we live in a world where you need to be politically correct and you need to respond in the right way. And uh, I'll tell you, I'd, I have it taped to my desk and in a few areas of my life, but you know, when I'm faced with a difficult decision or how to handle a situation, I call on, as we learn in the Bible, the fruits of the spirit, you know, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. It goes on and on. Um, and what I've found, and I have this list t- taped to my monitor at work, is whether it's a huge challenge in our community or a small conflict at work, if I will pick any two of those words and apply them to how I respond, it's a, there's a much, you know, more successful outcome. And, uh, and so to me, I, I think it just has, I think people need to understand that they have it within them. They have the capacity to affect change. And sometimes we may be, as we sit here, our, our world is, our country is experienced, you know, intense and deep racial pains and hurt and strife. And many of us may feel like, 
There's nothing. What am I supposed to do? What am I? You know, what me? What can I do? You can do. You can affect change. Um, and you don't have to have a, a, you know, a five point plan. Uh, one of the coolest quotes I ever saw was, you know, Martin Luther King didn't say I have a strategic plan. You know, he said, I have a dream and he shared his vision with people. He shared his passion with people. And so I think that the getting people to rally behind you and support you and help you and affect change on your block or in your community or whatever the challenge is, um, if you'll just tap into that passion and that feeling you have inside, ask God to lead you and guide you, um, put the right people in your path, give you wisdom uh, that you you can do it. You know, we, we learn you can do all things through Christ. Um, we hear these Bible verses and we see them on bumper stickers and T-shirts and they are not just on, but they are in you. You know, it's very real. Uh, in your capacity to affect change and make a difference is, is extraordinary if you'll just listen to it and believe that you can do something. And when you get punched in the jaw, get back up and do it again. Give it another shot. Try harder. Um, I've been disappointed. I've messed up. Um, I think one of the questions you say you might ask or we'd talk about is, you know, something I struggle with or something I don't do well. Good grief. I'm and I've heard Christian leaders and, and people say, I'm so flawed. You know, uh, a, a friend I was talking to recently had was struggling in, with a situation. And he's like, I just, Tom, you just have it together. If I could just, and I just chuckled on the inside. I was like, man, you got it all wrong. I wake up every day uh, with, and I face temptation. Uh, I face uh, everything anybody else faces. But if you recognize that you were created with a high expectation by a God who loves you and makes you new every day, um, then you get up and you go do your best. And when you go to bed at night and you realize you didn't quite hit the mark, you wake up the next day and you go back and do your best again and just keep trying. Um, I, I just think some people don't understand their capacity to, to do good. It's sad, really. Do you think uh, possibly that the fear of failure may stop somebody from doing what they think they ought to do? Um, and, I, and I'll give you a reason why I'm asking that question. Many times, at least in my life, I've, I've thought, you know, I ought to go do this. This is where I can be effective. But if I mess it up, it's going to be worse. <sighs> so I still sit on the couch and I don't do anything. Does fear ever in- inhibit you from doing anything? I know in military they teach you you can't be fearful. You've got to go. You've got to go get it. Yeah, um, but we're all afraid. But truly, have you ever had felt this situation where you were just so fearful that something bad, or you were scared to death about it, and you just didn't do it? You know what? I, I'm sure. Yes, I, I know there have been times I've hesitated. Uh, there have been times I've felt that that calling inside. Um, I, I'll you know, be in a hurry and I'll pass a homeless person and you might pass 30 homeless people in your community and or a day or a week or a month. Um, but I'll feel compelled to go back. And I don't, I didn't, I was in a hurry. I, I judged that person. He, I think he was drunk. He's just gonna, if I help me, just gonna go buy more beer. You know, I, and I disappoint myself, you know, and I don't know if it was fear or, you know, I let my head get in the way of my heart. Um, or I might have, you have to be practical. It might've been a situation that 
didn't appear to be a safe environment to turn the car around in the middle of the night and go back and get myself in trouble. Um, so I've been disappointed before like that, where I didn't, I didn't seize it. I, I think more often I'm disappointed when I see something going on. Uh, I'm more capable of intervening when it's folks I don't know. You know, if I see someone being rude to a cashier or, or sexist or racist or something, I'm quick to pipe up. But when, when those who are close to you misbehave um, and maybe tell you a little joke on the side or make a little snorkel under there just so you could hear about that girl that walked by or that waitress, how she looks, or, you know, that guy in the corner looks like a bum. You know, I I really, I, I struggle sometimes with having the courage to put those who are close to me in their place. And, uh, I need to, I, I need to, I need to find that courage. We need more of that in the world. You know, when somebody makes that joke, that ain't right. But we'll look around and say, Hey man, that's not funny anymore. You know, or that's you're married. Don't say that. What are you crazy? Your wife's amazing. You look at that girl. And I think there's, I, I, I get, I, I don't act enough when I should there, you know, and I think that's tough, but I don't know. I don't. Just, I think it's all those little things that get you dinged up. You know, I've never been really afraid. I've, I was afraid of dying in the military. So there's nothing I do right now that like makes me really afraid. Um, but I think that's part of it. In order to be forthright, in order to have that courage, in order to uh, do what we think we should be doing, obviously God is involved. Mm-hmm. We're looking to him. But he also gives us a support group to help us through those things. Um, in my case, it's, it's a wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a wife and, and three children who are, are supporting me and in, in my missions. Even when I fail, right. I know I can come home, get that hug, get that kiss, that stern talking to if I'm feeling bad about something and then send me back on my way. Do you have that at home? And uh, if you do, I know you're married. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned your, your wife uh, yeah. said, sure he did. Yeah. Uh, is she, does she support you at home? And I, and I know she does. And I'm asking that in this regard. How does she support you in the fact that she pushes you to go do the things that you know are right? Well, for one, she's uh, an incredible woman of God herself. And, you know, my I I literally prayed for her. You know, I, I was single out of the Navy and um, working in the hospital, like I said, and I had was dating and going out and such. But I just, uh, you know, I canceled a date on a Saturday night and just felt felt that calling inside. I, you know, I was not living as I knew I should have the way I was brought up uh, in, you know, re- relationships that were not honorable, I think, to God and to women and um and I prayed about it. I said, man, I want a good, I want to find someone. And it was very clear to me that you got me to clear is that you're a big mess. And a, 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 a godly woman is a gift. And I'm not going to give you that to wreck and break, you know. So I Googled. I was on my old uh, gateway computer, you know, in college. And I Googled Tallahassee churches. I was brought up in a in a non-denominational, very charismatic Christian environment most of my life. And then my dad was brought up Catholic as a child. He felt the Lord was calling him back to the Catholic church. So the second part of my life, I grew up in a a Catholic church. So I, and I'm Methodist and, you know, Protestant, we're all mixed up Christians, but, uh, so I feel comfortable everywhere to be honest with you. 
so I Google and I saw this church that's called Celebration. I thought, man, the idea of celebrating your faith sounds great. And it ended up happened to be Baptist church. I didn't know anything about it. So I went to church and uh, I got on, you know, I got online, like I said, and I saw they had a Sunday school and they don't really have that in Catholic church, just like that, like on Sunday with service that follows or after or whatever. So I put on a suit because I didn't know what Baptist were to church. I had a full suit on. I walked in at like nine o'clock to the young singles class uh, or the 20 something singles or whatever they called it. And I opened the door and Stephanie was sitting there. She was the first one there. And I had recognized her from the hospital. She worked in that same hospital. I didn't, you know, we didn't know each other per se. And, uh, and I thought, thank you, Jesus. I said, you put a cute girl right in front of me on like second one of this journey. Um, but she had high standards and was not interested in the guy who was going out partying, drinking, and, you know, she did not give in easily. You know, I had to prove myself. So you ask about support when you wake up every day uh, with a, a great woman beside you who loves the Lord and trusts you. Um, the expectations are high there as well. And uh, she does not support everything I do. She says no. Uh, not In the not too distant past, I felt as though I was being called to serve publicly and we talked and prayed about that. And uh, I told her, I'm not I'm not going on this journey without you. And uh, and she prayed about it. And she said, Tom, this isn't the time for our, us as a family. This isn't the time in my career and your career. Our son had just been, you know, diagnosed with diabetes. And um, she off, she brought incredible wisdom to our family. And she was she was right. I'm sh- I'm certain of it. I've been at peace with that decision. Um, ever since. And so that's a time where she said no. And, uh, but she's always behind me, you know, she's always rooting for me. And she knew I was disappointed because I felt like I wasn't listening to God. I felt like I, you know, I was not listening to that voice that said, go serve, change some of this, get to work, use your talents, rally people, let's go. Uh, and, and, uh, and then I realized that God gave me her. And if she wasn't on board, then this was not blessed. This was not, you know, I wasn't at peace if she wasn't. And we moved on. And uh, I bet she was right. Not only does your wife support you, uh, it looks like at least some of the Facebook posts that I've seen from you. uh, Your Facebook cover page is a picture of your family, your sons and your your Mm -hmm. wife. Uh, And I'll let you describe it, but uh, it's got some signs there about service. Uh, So your family is a service-oriented family. And uh, I recently saw a Facebook video of your sons Mm. cutting your hair for uh, for the homeless, I believe it was. So so from your Facebook, at least, it's obvious that service is a family affair at your house. Um, How does that happen? How 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 have you raised your your two sons? to be of service and have they reacted? Have they responded? You know, uh, someone else asked me some, a similar question recently. Um, first of all, the boys did shave my head on Facebook live on a video or whatnot. And, uh, it was in the middle of the quarantine and all our hair had gotten long as everybody else, uh, as you can imagine. And, um, you can't go get a haircut when the haircut, when the world's shut, and so I was thinking, you know, 
we're not spending money on haircuts and we're not spending money on dry cleaning and our homeless population is hurting badly. I mean, how do they shelter in place when you don't have a home? And there were some efforts to put them up in hotel rooms and take care of people. And uh, I said, hey, boys, let's shave my head and cut my hair. I'll let y'all do it. They got scissors. Um, and we'll tell people to take the money they were going to spend on that $20 haircut or whatever and donate it to a nonprofit. And I couldn't finish telling them my idea and they were sprinting for scissors. And then they were running back at me with scissors. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and they got right to it and butchered my hair uh, pretty good. And then, you know, Stephanie got the clippers out and finished me off. So I'm now, uh, I think, a number two guard clippered haircut. Uh, matter of fact, as I sit here today, it's been a week or two and I feel like I need another one. Um, but uh, so that that's kind of how that happened. But, you know, Few, a few things. Uh, if you want your son, we're talking about your, I think your boy playing baseball. And I'm sure as he moved through his journey of baseball, if he needed a hitting coach, you wanted him to become a better hitter, got a hitting coach. If you wanted to become a better pitcher, you went out and did some drills to strengthen his arm and made sure every day was working out. You invested that time. Um, if you want your kid to play the piano, you get lessons. So we have the ability to identify an outcome. The outcome would be, can play the piano, can throw a strike, gets an A, get a tutor. Um, Stephanie and I were coming back from a little trip up to the Blue Ridge Mountains and the boys were asleep in the back. And I said, we had met a young man who was just really impressive. And we said, who will our boys be? You know, because he was 18 or 19 and big. And last time we'd saw him, he, he wasn't. Um, and we thought, you know, our what will they look like? You know, what will they be interested in? What girl will they bring, bring home? You know, and. Uh, and, and so we really started talking about that. And so what, what, assuming we can influence that, and I believe as a parent, you absolutely can to a certain degree, you can lead a horse to water. Um, what would that person look like? And so she got out, Stephanie being a note taker, got out her legal pad and said, okay, what, what characteristics do we want? And, and to love the Lord, top of the list, to want to be obedient to respect and care for others, to have integrity. And there were things down that list, like, you know, to have work ethic, to be capable of doing hard and uncomfortable work. And so then we said, okay, if this was a piano lesson, what, how do we instill, let's, let's say work ethic. Some people say, well, you have it or you don't, you know, um, how do we instill learning how to work and save for something in the future and avoid that immediate temptation to spend that five bucks right now. Side note, my youngest son can't keep a $5 bill in his pocket for more than a day. He's got a, he has the immediate urgent itch and will scratch it. And my older son, Thomas, uh, has the ability to, to save money and, and make it all the way down the long journey and, and get, you know, what he wanted. So we, we looked at what we wanted the boys to be. And then we started engineer parts of their life. And please understand we are busy. We are too busy. Stephanie's an executive in a major hospital. I'm running an ad agency. Uh, boys are in, you know, going into second and fifth grade. So don't get this idea that we have all this time to opine about, you know, the future and map things out. We're, we're a big wreck. We both show up from work with no dinner plans and two kids that are hungry and homework that isn't done and a class project that we forgot about. We are legitly always behind the eight ball. But we did take and say, you know, we want them to understand the Lord. So we we ensure we go to church. We make sure we have a Bible study. We talk about the Lord. 
Uh, we make it a part of our life. We want them to have hard work, work ethic. So we give them hard work to do. You know, I, I tell people all the time, if you have kids over the age of like eight and you remove any groceries from your car, you're doing it wrong. Your wife or yourself should walk into the house and say, gather the food and bring it in. Now, you might want to put it away so things get in the right place. You don't want the milk in the cabinet and the cereal in the refrigerator. But um, it is really, really hard to teach your kids how to do things right because you are tired and you are busy. And if you show Thomas how to blow off the deck, it's going to take three times as long and he's not going to do it right and he's not going to put it up. So I'm just going to do it. But I think that's where we fail as parents, right? Do the hard work of good grief. I got I'm not to show him how to do it and put it on, put up the extension cord. He's not going to do it right. I'm just going to have to redo it. So then we throw in the towel. Same with dishes or cleaning the toilet. Both my boys at seven and 10 can clean the heck out of a toilet. Um, but it was a real pain in the butt watching them learn. Um, so anyways, we try and engineer those qualities so that maybe at the end of the road, they'll be honest or work hard. And we're not totally sure we know what we're doing, but we're just trying trying our best, I guess, like most parents. So after all of that and the effort that you guys have put in, whatever that may be, to getting your two sons to the point of working and loving the Lord and, mm-hmm. and doing being those kids that you want them to grow up to be, have they inspired you? Oh, man. You know what is so crazy about when you start thinking about others. I don't do it all the time. I'm very selfish in many ways. I, I uh, struggle with, you want to, I want to go fishing. I want to go golf with my friends. I want, you know, I'm going to watch my movie. I'm, you know, not going to watch movie stuff wants to watch. I'm like, tells you a big old mess. But uh, in this journey, uh, you're going to find that when you're serving others, you, you literally are the one that receives the reward. It's not a, it's not this, like when you are, when you are complimented or people ask you about your service, it's extraordinarily uncomfortable. I know what you're doing here with this podcast. And I hope that if there's, that it can do some good, but I have no desire to like get a pat on the back for Hurricane Michael. My reward was seeing the people that were benefiting. My reward was observing the generosity of the American people who showed up from all over the country. My reward was living in a world where we have Fox and CNN and MSN and you think we're all against each other. And then looking at rural America and looking at the heart of our communities um, and seeing that we are good. We are darn good people who care about each other and they've got it wrong. Um, And so in my sons, take Gray with his diabetes, he being the youngest child and and whatnot had always seen. If you asked me, I would have said, I don't think he's as tough as Thomas, who's the older son. Um, and this this diagnosis of type 1 diabetes, where he you know receives four to six or seven shots a day and wears a device that has to be inserted into his arm or his belly um, and uh, finger sticks and just everything that involves that. This kid is tough as can be. He's got an incredibly strong mind and determination. He's not fearful. Um, and I never would have seen that. On the flip side of the coin, my big tough boy, Thomas, um, is incredibly compassionate and gentle 
Um, and so in that tough piece, I get to learn and see from my boys how to be strong and have courage from the one I thought maybe didn't have as much and how to be gentle and compassionate and patient um, from the one who I thought was all brawn and, and muscle, you know. And it shows up in many ways. Like the older one, Thomas, can't, the younger one can't have a Slurpee anymore. And so the older one knows that and stopped asking in front of his brother. Because, hey, I'm going to say, no, we can't. Um, and him and I will sneak off. I'll say, I got to get gas in the truck. You want to ride with me? And he'll get a Slurpee. And we don't live far from the gas station. So he drinks that thing so fast he gets a brain freeze on the way home. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yes, you do you do see and learn from your kids. Um and uh, yeah, I think that's pretty remarkable. So these are uh, the stories you've shared and the thoughts you've shared so far are all about humble service. Uh, you, you obviously uh, enjoy the being in the back, mm. not out front, but ensuring that everybody gets what they need and also making sure everybody gets to be uh, gets to feel the same feelings that you feel when you're doing these service projects. And I think you're, it sounds like you're instilling, instilling that in your, your sons, along with your wife. Um, and that is, for me, a joy to hear because, as you, as you so correctly said a few minutes ago, we are a good people. Mm-hmm. We just have to stop long enough to see it. Yeah. Stop running by it. Stop worrying about what's happening to you or what's what's wor- worry about what's happened, what you're going to do about something else. Sure. Just stop and, and, and look, it's there. Yeah. So you've had a long journey so far and you've got many more years uh, ahead of you. I, I hope and, and I pray you've got a wonderful family. What do you want to hear God say to you when you meet him face to face? You know, I hope that, when I think about this scene, it's a physical, it's a, I, 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 you know, you imagine what heaven is like, right? So first I think I imagine just being on my knees and overwhelmed with peace and joy. And, and I think I want him to say that, uh, you did good and you fought hard. You know, I, I think he's a father that understands very much the evil that is on earth, the temptations that exist, that we fail. Um, I expect to be held accountable for those sins. I understand our salvation, you know, through Jesus and I'm I'm grateful and, and would be dead without it. But, um, I hope he says, uh, you, you know, you did well and you fought hard. You know, he's not, he's not in a million years going to tell me I was perfect or that I did it did it exactly right. But I think that he expects me to do my very best and to resist temptation, to resist uh, evil, to follow his word and and wake up every day and pursue that um, to, to the best of my abilities. Um, and I just, it's just incredible. I hope I'm worthy if there's some way to, <laughs> I told my sister this, I said, I don't think I've lived a good enough life that if I got to heaven, you could serve, you know, if you can serve in heaven, you know, and I hope that I'm worthy of some sort of service, you know, that having not been a saint, you know, uh, I don't know what that experience will be like, but um, I have no anxieties. I, I don't, 
I don't worry about death. I don't worry about illness. I don't worry about, we've had my family Stephanie and I have worked very hard and had a uh, good success professionally and, you know, generated incomes that um, allow us to live very comfortably. And I can tell you with a straight face right now in the middle of success. And if you find me in failure, um, that I could really care less about it. I, I was very happy in humble homes growing up. I met Stephanie in an old Honda with paint peeling off the hood. So if the cars and the things go away, um, I, I want to live a long life and that I have a swift heart attack as an old man, uh, after, you know, watching my kids grow up, but, um, just not, just not worried about it. Cause I, I just believe God has a, a plan for me. And, uh, and I just want to listen and, and, and be in, in touch with whatever he's calling me to do. Amen to that. Thank you, uh, Tom, for, for being here today. Uh, your family and yourself uh, are an inspiration because you are so in love with God. Uh, I, I appreciate that fact about you probably more so than anything else we've talked about. Um, we need more people to confess the fact that they are here to be disciples of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, they love God, and they're open about that. Yeah. Thank you for doing that, and uh, best of luck to you and your family in the future. Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.